You are now, now tuned into Progressive Action Radio, the most objective show in America. Hosted by Tramail Thompson, co-hosted by Jamel Wilson, and DJ Damage is on the wheels of steel. You will never know what to expect when thoughts and wisdom unite. People, get ready. Ready, ready. Progressive Action is now live. What's going on, cuz? I'm chilling. What's going on? Same thing as normal. Stirring the pot. Oh yeah, definitely. Good evening, everybody out there. <laughs> you know, I, I got I got them a buzz because I said I wouldn't strike if Sammy single strike for single digits because I don't see the sense in it. Right, and so people are basically trying to say that no matter what, that's not good unionism, you know? Yeah, it's it's, it's um, union busting, scabbing, and. Um, you know, it's, it's just real funny. The people who's leading this this chance, them RTW guys, you know, once again. And it's mighty funny because their stance on taking things is, you know, they, they try to get the, the, they try to excite us black folks on the job with taking the um, police brutality stance with us in transit. That's not black's problem in transit. Black's problem in transit is, and everybody else's problem, is the pay. The medical benefits mm-hmm. and the pension and the work rules. Nobody ain't thinking about police brutality. These guys come left field with all this other stuff. But they, they talk about union this, union that. Unions wasn't made for us originally. After slavery, we was the skilled ones. And they use unions to keep us out. And I wonder how many people know that history of unions. I don't know. but you know, And it's amazing how you know these are the same. Now, here it is. You, you posted that about you wouldn't strike if Samuelson was the walk. But now here it is, when Roger struck, these same people who's undermined, commenting. Undermined this. Exactly, Roger under, undermining Roger's strike when there was when there was nothing but good, nothing but reason to strike. Because here it is, MCA was violating the Taylor Law and they were putting the pension issue on the table. Yeah. Okay, so here it is, you, you had somebody fighting for a valid good cause and y'all undermining it and y'all going against it. but. You hear this, you say if Samuelson was the, because, you know, if Samuelson were the walk, it would be for some bullshit. And he wouldn't be clear as far as what we're walking for. Right. Like, I would want to know, what are we walking for? What's going to make you come back? And what, what, what are you looking for exactly? I'm not going to say, oh, we going on strike because the MTA ain't, ain't giving us what we want. What we want. Think about it. It's a few weeks away before the contract is due. What is it, like a month? It's like a month, right? Almost a month. We still don't know what's going on. Right. And those demands were handed in. And, we, you know, we don't know what the, where's the MTA stance on the contract or what they're trying to give us. Yeah, you know, we could add everybody into the conversation. We don't know. Yeah. You we, know, so. uh, we got, uh, if y'all got something to say, uh, we can say. All right. Well, uh, hold on. You know, let me introduce, uh, every, yeah, let me introduce everybody. Because no matter what, we're going to stick to the format here at Progressive Action. All right, everybody. We got uh, Chanel Nicole is around here somewhere, our third host. Okay. I'm here. Oh, Okay. And then uh, <laughs> I'm looking like what was she at? Okay. I'm the only woman in the room. How can you miss me? I didn't turn my head all the way around. Okay. Good job. All right. Back to progressive action. We got Joe Campbell. What's up, everybody? All right. And also we got Mr. John Mooney in the house. Good evening. Who's got the power? We got the power. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's that voice, y'all. 
If you have a rally, you got to have Mr. Mooney there. Jamel love your voice, man. Yeah, man. There's a, a lot of people out there that love his voice. I'm going to tell you, a lot of people came to me and said, yo, that guy Mooney, so I love his voice, man. But anyway, our, 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 next, our next guest, we got Mr. Mike Staten in the house from RTO. Hey, good evening, everybody. Now, right. what I like about this show, I yeah. mean, too bad Harry Will's not here. Yeah, Harry, we miss you, bro. We don't know where Staley is at. Yeah, Staley is on his way, too. All uh, right. Anthony Staley. But we got three guys here that speak very well. Three guys here who could, who could possibly be president of this, of this local. Definitely. But it's three guys here who Samuelson don't communicate with that could possibly bring changes to this local. Of course. But they had progressive action. This yeah. is the meeting of the mind show. Definitely. And Mr. Anthony Staley is walking in the studio right now. Oh, look, we, 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 just, we just spoke about him. We just spoke about him. That's <laughs> right. So, so Papa. definitely. So this is our meeting of the mind show. Yeah. You know, this is the show where we're going to basically dissect the demands. We're going to talk about the contract. And, you know, just basically just everybody's going to give their input on, what the, on, on, on the climate right now, what's going on, and how we should approach this and you know talk about this mass membership meeting and just talk about this administration and how they're handling everything you know that, that was great cuz well, thank you i like the way you handled that you. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything to say joe you joe, look like you wanted to say wait, something wait. give him an introduction say joe you start well, no, listen, this is a conversation, so basically everybody's going to talk. So Joe looked like he was about to say something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Well, I was, I was, I was confused. Um, I was looking at the, what was that, the post-it rally that they had at the um, yeah. at 2 Broadway? The sticky rally. Yeah, yeah right. What, what? <laughs> that security cleaned up five minutes after they left. Mm -hmm. I know. What, what right. was that? Uh, to accomplish I mean everything you do right is as you know has some kind of like accomplishment to it like in the end there has to be some kind of something to show for it or what you know you were trying to do something accomplish something what I mean what was that you know that that was almost like humiliating you know I, I can't I just I don't know I mean maybe, maybe I'm missing something I don't know somebody explain it to me I found it to be childish for a labor union I found it to be childish <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you that was fucking childish for some grown-ass 50-year-old men. <laughs> like, why would y'all want to post stickies in the office, you know, and basically these people to walk by just look and say, damn, like, the hell they no, do that you, for? No, you want to know what's funny? When you look at the stickies and what was on it, didn't you give the MTA the demands already? Right. Why are you reposting it on the wall in stickies? And you know, the sad thing is, <laughs> what was written on the stickies was more better than the demands. <laughs> <laughs> I looked and said, wow, man. You know? It's sad, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, the accomplishment, like, what what did it accomplish, right? That's really, in the bottom line, what were you trying to accomplish? Were you trying to impress the TA, scare them, uh, gain leverage at the table, which is something that, you know, you, you really have to have, you know? I mean, was that to gain leverage? If if, if it was, then, then you know, that, that had no purpose whatsoever. It was the seller membership. How you feel about that, Mr. Mooney? We have to be real serious right now. There's a sense of urgency. Everybody feels the sense of urgency? Oh, yes. You know how urgent it is right now? The vice president of stations department's on vacation this week. That's how urgent things are. 
You know what that tells me? They already got a contract. Because everybody comfortable. Everybody's comfortable. There's n- How do you go on vacation at this time of year? Not of year. We only get a contract every three, four. It used to be every three years. <laughs> now it's five. There's no sense of urgency. This is all a show. They had a contract six months ago. They're playing everybody. They're going to bust out stations department. Derek knows it. If I'm correct, he's in Puerto Rico right now. My spot. Okay. So this is all a scam. You, you want to talk about the um, temporary station agents? Oh, we're going to get into it. <laughs> Do you want me to talk about it now? We get into it a little later. I want to yeah. yeah. get, get Staten. Yeah, Mr. Staten. Wow, I, I kind of would echo somewhat of what John said. I think this is a, a lot of smoke and mirrors. And I think for the most part that, uh, like John said, there's a deal pretty much in place. Um, I mean, just from the onset, from how this took place, uh, they didn't even actually start putting together meetings to try to formulate the demands until probably like the uh, last month, a month of October, uh, late, uh, early part of November, late October. You know, a lot of people that you came in contact with out in the field, you know, they would they would be asking you six months out, you know, hey, what's going on with the contract? Is the union saying anything or whatever? Uh, but you heard nothing, silence. And in my department, when they when they actually started to uh, come out. They had some of their opening meetings. They had at remote locations uh, in different boroughs as a way of trying to, you know, draw people out from other boroughs. And they were having actual contract meetings in the pubs, in the bars. And I said, wow, you know, this is a place where you're supposed to be formulating and you're supposed to be putting your, your brain trust together and folks coming in with their thinking caps to to talk about you know what it is that they want to fight for in the upcoming contract, and you sitting there having these meetings at bars and pubs, and so I happened to raise a question, and this was when they were up at the Bronx meeting off on um, near the uh, Westchester Square area. I says, uh, what happened to all of these uh, contract demands and uh, uh, issues that they put out from Nick Bedell's office, and. Uh, I says, what were the demands? I says, why are we sitting here going through this? If you've already polled the members months ago, I said, you need to be telling us what those demands are. So they said, well, the number one demand was boots, and I think the other one was a wage increase. I said, boots? I said, really? I said, where did you get that information from? I said, where, where are the actual numbers, the breakdown of the numbers in terms of the, the amount of polls that went out that came back, and what was the breakdown of percentage by department? They looked at me with blank stares. They couldn't, couldn't even give me that. And then there was nothing, if you notice, in this level rounds of bargaining, I see nothing where there's any departmental demands going on. I see nothing where 
department submitted demands, at least nothing that came back to the membership, uh, whether it was RTOs, stations, or what have you. Um, so I really don't have a, a it, it doesn't seem like they have a real clear-cut strategy in terms of how they're going to go about this. And that leads me, that's all the more reason why I think that this is pretty much a done deal. I'm going to ask Mr. Staley the same thing. How do you feel about the dog and pony show at 2 Broadway yesterday? Well, this is my take on the whole thing. I think that these cats done made a deal and they just putting on this act because now they don't know how to sell it to us. You see, because I publicly came out and said, I'm voting no against any threes or fours, period. Now, you had Pendergrass get up there and say, we got a $650 million surplus. Basically, what he's saying, let's see if your union is smart enough to convince us to give you all the decent raise out of this surplus, right? So right now, I think they stuck with this three, and they choking on it right now because they know the members is not happy with it, and they don't know how to come out with it. But personally, I'm going to campaign a no campaign against it. If it's three, we deserve better than that. Number one, that's that's and and then this story where uh, we were told at the union meeting we're locked in where they can't raise um, um, differential. I said, listen, you you can you read? Do y'all ever go back in the archives and see these? these decisions that were made, are they, can they be brought up now? I seen them, and they can. Co uh, cost of living could be brought back up now and discussed, because they, these decisions were doing, done during the era where uh, the city still owned uh, transit, and they were strapped for money, and eventually they turned it over to the state because they said they couldn't afford it anymore. So these are all these decisions are. But these cats sit up there and they figure, oh, I'm a union rep, but it's more than that. You got to look up stuff. You got to find, if you're calling yourself protecting your members, you look up stuff. So I just think this is a, a show that's going to blow up sooner or later. As soon as the numbers pop out, it's just going to blow up in their faces and they not, they don't know how, they're not going to know how to respond to it. That's it. All right, so we all agree that it's a, it's a show. It's not real. Yeah, definitely. All right. So since you brung it up, Mr. Staley, we're going to start with you and we go work work our way back around. What is a substantial raise for you percentage-wise? At least. We were just looking at, um, I forgot the name of the uh, union that just got an 18, was it Staten Island or something? Yeah. I think about 18% raise. And uh, ours should be right in that ballpark. Five, 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 seven, seven, five, somewhere in there it's sort of acceptable that now to bring us up close to other unions. But anything less than that, another three or four, man, this guy need to be thrown out of there, literally thrown out of there, dragged out the union hall and thrown out in the street. Thrown out in the street. <laughs> what they say, throw the bums out? Yeah. Literally, yeah. Yeah, throw the bums out. So what you, what you think, Mr. Campbell? Well, yeah, now see, everyone went around and answered that question, what, what were they trying to accomplish there? They were trying to accomplish showing, you know, like, like okay, we have the deal, now let's make the show look like we got the deal, right? And, 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 that's, and hence the dog and pony show. When I look at a raise, when I say what, what, what should be um, acceptable to transit workers, you know, it would have to be in the ballpark what, what Anthony was saying, 
Um, you know, it has to be those fives and sevens, and that would be acceptable, you know, but also we have to take into consideration the beating that we've taken over so long that keeps us from working, you know, living in the city that we work in. And how many transit workers are getting exiled to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and, and way, 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 way upstate? Um, <laughs> what, what, kind of, what, kind of, what kind of raises would bring them back into the city? Um, and, and, and when I looked at, and we are transportation, so when I look at the, the airlines and I see what, what the airlines are doing for their employees, they're just saying, look, we're sorry. Um, you know, we had a bad decade and, um, and, and you guys sacrificed for us. So here, here's back, right? So I see American Airlines giving 21%. And that is, that is just like here. Here's 21%. You know, thanks for sticking with us. Oh, by the way, now here's your yearly raises after that. I just saw um, Delta, 18%, right? And that's... That's, that's transportation. We, you know, we're in that. Somebody needs to say to us, because we were asked to sacrifice, and we're still sacrificing. And I have a feeling after this contract, they're still going to be asking us to sacrifice. So, 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 you know, we need to see a nice lump sum up front like that. You know, uh, not lump sum in that sense. Don't get me wrong. Lump sum raise um, that, that, of course, accrues o- over the years. But I'd like to see something like that where they say, hey, transit workers, thanks for your sacrifice. You know, we know you didn't screw up the economy, but you did pay for it. And, um, and, and here's your 15% up front, and now let's talk about yearly. Then they can get, to me, if they do that, then they can give us threes and fours. Yes. After they give us our 15% up front. That's right. Then we could do threes and that's fours. That's right, because now we talk about cost of living after that. You yeah. know, and that's your threes and your fours, trying to keep up with, with, with you know, inflation and, and, and cost of living, which isn't just inflation, by the way. Correct. Mr. Mooney. What have I learned, experienced over the years? The only time you get raises is when the politicians need you. It's not about what you've done. They care about you. When they got to get reelected and they need you, they're going to give you some raises. When Bloomberg wanted to run for a third term, and he had to get the city council to vote on it. And he wanted the unions to get the city council people to vote for it. Right? In the, in the middle of a financial meltdown crisis, we got four and four. Then, when they don't need you, when he got in office, he says you're going to get zero, zero now. So we got to get the politicians to need us. We got to learn how to get people elected, which we can't do anymore. After the presidential election, they had a political strategist, Hank Sheinkoff. He runs usually all the mayor elections. And he said, you know, the unions, they can't get votes no more. The only thing they're good for is writing checks. And I, I said, man, that guy just hit it straight. The unions can't get nobody elected no more. The politicians really don't need us if we can't get them elected. Now, 
We've been doing all the dirty work, meaning Samuelson running this union for Como. Dirty work. I mean, we've been dirty. Dogging de Blasio, just nonstop. When you do dirty work like that for somebody, you got to get some real money in return. Real money. Because we're the only one backing up this Como. And we're looking real bad in the labor movement for doing it. Tier six? Really? Tier six? You know how bad the labor movement is? Como refused to accept the Working Family Party's mission statement. Actually wrote against it. And they still gave him the line. That's how messed up politically we are labor in this state wages is one thing but there's one thing that hasn't been addressed in over 10 years and that's discipline management's made adjustments to discipline to make it harder for us and we haven't made adjustments and they're destroying the workers everything is up for dismissal they're putting the screws to people real hard. And nothing's been addressed. If they're going to be addressing boots, no matter how much your raise is, if they ain't addressing discipline, they're in bad, bad shape. Because this place is going to get real hard. It's already hard now. Wages? If you get threes and fours, they're going to, people down, they, they've only seen zeros and ones. They don't even know what a raise is anymore. They don't even know what a contract is. They went two and a half years without a contract. And the president of the local says, we ain't striking. Well, shit, you ain't got no leverage then. You got to constantly remind management that without us, Trains ain't buses, they ain't running. Sometimes you just go out on strike just to let them know that without us, shit ain't running. Stop playing games. Pay me when you're supposed to pay me. Don't play people when they're on work as comp, they don't get paid. Snow duty, as Staley was talking about today. How would you like to be shoveling snow and they don't pay you? That's messed up. They don't recognize the union anymore. The politicians don't even recognize the unions anymore. Got a lot of issues. Wages is one thing. Discipline has to be readjusted because management has adjusted to the old rules and and they're playing by a different game now and we're still in the old rules i had to go for someone about a week ago for some minor stuff i'd go all the way to two bro we get on that damn train trains packed <laughs> and i said you know what for this minor little thing that this person's got it's not worth getting on the train Wasted all this time and energy, this and it's just not worth it. 
in stations, we can't win. If it's something small, you know what? I'm at the point you maybe say, you know what, listen. You just maybe just take it. Because once you get on the damn train, you just wasted your whole day. The day before, you've been thinking you got to get on the train all the way down there. They make you wait all day to run around. Was it worth it? The discipline system has to be readjusted. That's, these are the things. They can give you whatever they want, but they, if, they, if they give you 30 days next month, how much, how much raise did you just lose? So th that's where I'm at. I got a whole bunch of stuff I can talk about. <laughs> Mr. Staten. Wow. Um, it's kind of almost in a way like whatever number you put on it, you know, we've been lagging so far behind with the cost of living and so forth. You know, uh, even if you even come back with uh, teens, you know, double digit, uh, it still won't really bring you up to the level that we need to be in terms of how far we've, we've lost ground over the years. One of the things that I notice now, and, and this is probably something that I heard like going back maybe at least three contracts, is this term, you know, revenue neutral. And it seems as though now that what the, the MTA, they engage in a, in a uh, practice where, you know, they'll say, okay, well, you get a raise, but, you know, you end up having to concede or make certain concessions to pay for those raises. And I think one of the things that we really need to keep a real close eye on, and I think which will, which will probably be directly correlated to any increases that we see, will probably come out of changes that they just recently made to this uh, health, the, uh, health, the health benefit plan. Uh, they switched over, you know, carriers to derive savings because make no mistake about it, they don't make these types of unilateral moves unless there's some cost-saving uh, effect to it. And through those savings will be, will be, will be triggered uh, whatever raises. And so what, they, you know, what they're going to say, okay, well, this is what you have or this is what we're giving you. Now it's up to you in terms of how you want to sell it and package it to your people. So I think these, this is one of the key areas that we need to look at and guard against in terms of uh, coming down the pipe because this is the, the tactics or the strategy that they use in this day and age is you, you negotiate for your own, uh, you know, out of your own pocket. And you're just basically moving, moving money from one pocket to the other. Um, I also think that this would have really been a real critical time where we had some type of leverage in the aftermath of the tragedy that we had on the, on the, tr on the tracks last month where we, where we lost one flagger and one was injured. Now you see, if you, if you never had a, a, a more opportune time, and it's unfortunate any time you have a tragedy you know, down on these tracks. But this also gave us an opportunity where 
you know, now you had the MTA's attention. You know, now they were running around scurrying, you know, like roaches, you know, trying to, trying to be a little bit more attentive. And I think this was an opportunity, this was a window that we had that as quickly as that window's open, it's, it's now closing uh, very rapidly. And I think this was, a, this was an opportunity that, uh, you know, we, it won't come back around. You know, once it's closed, it's gone for, it's gone for, for good. Uh, but I think this was an opportunity that we had to really, you know, really try to make some headway, being that this came around the time that we were in our negotiations. But you don't see anything, uh, uh, any advances on the part of Samuelson trying to, trying to leverage this and utilize this as a way of securing certain types of concessions at the bargaining table. I mean, they made some feeble attempts at trying to tinker with safety procedures, but that's all they did. So it wasn't enough, basically? Certainly not. No, not as nearly enough. And I, and, I, and I totally agree on that. Um, what I have to comment and say on the, on the whole thing is uh, as far as what we deserve, uh, definitely, in my personal opinion, we deserve any, you know, we deserve any, of course, a double-digit raise, but we deserve anywhere from a 20 to 25% raise over the, over the lifespan of the contract which they claim is going to be three years. Um, basically, I say that because, you know, there should be some other stuff that we should hopefully gain in the contract as well if we get it, you know. But uh, I know the MCA is not going to have sympathy for us because they never do, you know. And But you're talking about an administration that's basically just uh, – individuals in, in this administration that has just been poison to this union and poison to this members. You know, I don't think, um, you know, when I, I know about the history of the different administrations all through the 82-year history of this union, and, you know, I can honestly say that this is probably the worst because you have an administration that basically stalled a contract, which was the last one back in 2012. So basically... Um, Harry Lombardo made a statement at that uh, rally at Two Broadway that they had secret, in front of the, secret, front of the board, the secret rally, right, at Two Broadway. And he said that his words were, Mike Quill was looking down on us and smiling and saying, Dad, these guys are doing a damn good job. <laughs> and I looked at that video like, really? I said, this guy is so full of shit. What is Mike Quill saying, you think? Mike Quill is saying, you, you motherfuckers, you this. I mean, I don't want to continue and go to Jack. I, I could go on and on. You know what I'm saying? You, you destroying idiots. my union. You destroying my union that I worked hard and died for. Harry Lombardo is a senior. I mean, right now, he's the president of the International. But when we went on strike, he might have been number three in the International. And that administration that he belonged to told people to cross the picket line. What type of people are we dealing with here? We're dealing with 
we're dealing with racist jerk-offs that told people to cross the picket line because all because the person leading the front the, the charge was a black man with a Caribbean accent. Okay, that's, that's all. The it, that's the bottom line, and that's the reason why. That's probably one of the reasons why Roger didn't stay in the international because again they want to keep it a certain color up there in the international. And I'm saying this shit, and I don't care. And I tell okay? you, and I tell you, and, and 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 you know, and, and again, for you know this whole dog and pony show with these people, it's like listen. You know, you cut the apprenticeship program, okay? Steve Downs came here on this show and talked about how, I was telling it to somebody yesterday, he said that there weren't enough budgeted positions for members coming out of the apprenticeship program once they finish. So I said, okay, if there's not enough budgeted positions, then why don't y'all negotiate more positions? Because that's the only logical explanation or the only remedy for that. But that's not what you do. You go and you cut it down to where now only 20 members can enter into the program. And, only, and of course, there's certain two titles. So, but what I'm saying is, to piggyback off of what Mike said, you know, that along with the, the change of the healthcare provider, which is a cheaper company, a company, to, it's like, do you, do you not think members are gonna do research on the company? And they see that, first of all, you don't have as many doctors that accept Aetna that's the, that uh, what you call it takes now United Healthcare and Empire Blue Cross and Blue Shield and Aetna is known for not paying out their claims so how the hell do you how the hell do you switch switch over to a carrier to where they're known for that and and I know y'all know that y'all not stupid they know the MCA people on the MCA board people who are responsible for that they know that okay but the idea is the people who represent us, the membership, Samuelson, Earl, I can go on and on and on. They take them for fucking idiots and they don't think that they know that. Well, you know, they think the MAC is gonna supplement your doctor's appointment. Right, and these damn IMEs, you and know. And the IMEs right. and the um, workers' compensation room that they got people going to right. yeah. is gonna supplement your Aetna health coverage. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, you know. So that's what I mean. Where I say, um, basically, this is you know all I can say is you know again we deserve twenty to twenty five percent because like I said it's 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 costly to live here in this city now, and you know um, the days are gone where we can get these you know you can get those smaller raises or whatever and and you know basically those days are gone to where you can live cheap here in this city get you an apartment paying five or six hundred dollars or whatever that's it that you know the days are gone the way hell you can go get an apartment in the projects or whatever now even the projects cost over a thousand dollars to live in okay sixteen hundred dollars a month sixteen hundred dollars a month so no rent is cheap anymore no rent is cheap and then and then if we was to go on strike how many transit workers is living check to check how many people could stay in that the landlords don't want to hear, oh, we went on, yo, went on strike, we feel sorry for you. The grocery store not going to want to hear that. The child care person not going to want to hear that. And the bank for the mortgage definitely don't want to hear that. Yeah, so how, how can you tell people who's not financially ready to strike? You didn't give us no strike plan. You didn't prepare us and tell us, look, things may get shaky in a year. You need to start saving your money from now. There wasn't no contingency plan. It's against the law to set up a strike fund, but it's not against the law to plan your members to save their own money. There's one thing you have to We don't to make understand. enough to save. 
when they gave us twos and one point fives, what are you supposed to save from to prepare like for the 8% future? Eight percent for five years. Eight percent for five years. That's How are you supposed crazy. to save what to say? We going on a strike. You must got to pick. You going to do the fifty-two in. week challenge where week one you put a dollar, week two you put two dollars. Oh, you know about that challenge? <laughs> I got my son doing it. Oh, okay. You you got to know who you're dealing with here. Let me give you See, a they're concerned, and I love Staley here because we get along. We have a good interaction. Samuelson, Lombardo, all of these guys, everyone up at the Union Hall, it's all about them cashing checks. They ain't going on strike because that's threatening their checks. I never thought that I could come and say this, but I got a bad feeling about these guys. I think they're corrupt. When the president of the uh, 101 passed away, Caligniriaro, whatever his name is, Mike, and I read his biography, and he said, oh, his brother Frank, he's a printer. I said, oh, shit, that's the guy that they use during the elections. And, you know, he was a nice guy. He wanted cash. For the printing. See, I always do mailings when I run an election. And he lives on Garrison Avenue. You know anyone else that might live and run Garrison Avenue? <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Nice guy. Pleasant, good-looking guy. Clean this. And when I talk, when I ask people about the guy, the, you know, the, the guy that was the president and his brother. Nice guy. The most beautiful guy. Friendly guy. The book. And then someone told me, I'll tell you, Tommy Cregan told me, he says, Mooney, Mike Caligniaro, the president of Local 101, he was in the room when they closed the door when they were counting the ballots and they locked everyone out. What's the president of another local? First of all, down there, Oh, and he's always up at the Union Hall. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. He's a nice guy. What the hell? Don't you got a local to run somewhere else? And then he's in the room when they're counting the ballots, and then they close the door, lock everyone out. I'm starting to say, you know what? Everyone's making money, but the workers. And I got a bad feeling when I read that thing and I started connecting dots. Strike. You're threatening these guys' paychecks. These guys are making 270, 280. They're in Puerto Rico one month, they're in Vegas the next month. Oh yeah, we're going to London to check out the subway. Really? <laughs> <laughs> But take pictures. <laughs> take pictures. You know, I go to the meeting today. Here, I'm the station agent section chair, and Joe Bermudez is the division chair. I say one thing, he says another. People start saying, oh, you guys are like conflict with each other. I says, you know what? The person who's supposed to regulate, try to bring us together, there's one person above us, Derek. Why don't someone go get Derek and bring him to the meeting? 
Oh, he's not here. I, then I, you know, I already knew the answers. I says, is he working today? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm talking about a packed meeting on the AM. Now, Staley was at the PM meeting, but the AM meeting was rock and roll, okay? And then Joe, he got a little flustered. See, if you throw things like that at Joe, what do you want? He, he's allowed to take a vacation? Oh, so he's on vacation, Joe. Yeah, he's on vacation. I says, can you put that in the minutes, please? <laughs> That's how urgent things are. The vice president of stations, while we're dealing with them hiring temporaries. But also contract negotiations. Contract negotiations. You take a vacation. You know when we're going to have our first stations department negotiations meeting? Of course, I'm not going to be there. Because that's for division offices. Or maybe it's just for Joe Bermudez. <laughs> September 21st. You're going to put all these demands on the table? They got like 50 demands. The first day you meet is just reading off the demands. Demand number one, demand number two. You got like 50 demands. Boots, hats, this, that. Some good stuff. Some stuff dealing with the station agents. But if you're showing me all of this and you're and you're in Puerto Rico on vacation, what that tells me, it's already done. It's really bad. This is like corruption to the core. That's right, because I I really feel that, and I know Tremel will agree with me that. If, the, if these guys were dead serious and were really fighting, I would tell all my staff, all vacations are off until we get this contract settled. I'm, and, uh, and, but the thing is, with us, <clears throat> let me just say this, like with our union, you see, the name TWU is still a powerful name by itself and it's still respected across the world. They just don't like the administrations that have been in there, period. That's the part of the union that's been weak. And let's take, for instance, these guys here. These guys' job is basically to just to stand next to you while management do whatever they want, and their job is to sign off on it. They don't know how to argue anything. They don't know how to fight a case. They don't know how to do anything. So that's why you get a demonstration of how their intelligence when we be sitting there in the meetings. When he start going off hollering and screaming because he can't get his way, that's what kids do. That's how, that's his level of education. Joe just get the hollering. That doesn't no, get nothing done. Name, oh, but Bermuda. <laughs> Excuse me. No, I didn't think you were talking about me, no. <laughs> <laughs> when he get the hollering and screaming like that, and like he told on himself, the pressure got on him. He See, he's not, he, he would never, I would never commit a crime with him because he melted under the pressure of us all sitting there, and he just told you. He don't trust you. He said it loud. And, of course, you saw what happened, right? That pen stopped writing. I said, yo, keep that pen moving. Don't stop writing because they start, things started coming out that you know they didn't, didn't really want to have on record because it was being personal at that point. Just don't like you. You're trying to get my job. All of this started coming out on them. And of course, the recording secretary, like I keep telling them, your job is the secretary. You just do secretary shit. You don't supposed to be doing nothing other than that. He, he, I watched him. Soon as that came out, when he said he didn't trust you, 
and the pen stopped. I said, yo, keep writing. <laughs> keep writing. And then somebody else said the same thing because it started getting personal and they started saying what Joe really feels. That's so it. He, he, he'll wilt under you the You put pressure a little pressure on him. Answer the questions. It all comes out. In the beginning, he puts on somewhat of a decent face. You put a little pressure, it all came out. I don't trust you. Then they do 15 and 20 minute answers to questions. That you, you, you see, you bore people when you do that. Like when I told them, I said, listen, these three questions I'm getting ready to ask you are simple yes and no questions. We don't need 15 minute answers for this. <laughs> and of course, my question was uh, the one about um, uh, the issue with the clerks, the new clerks, um, what it was, there was an issue, okay, what's the name brought up about the their temper. overtime, oh. how they were going to be positioned. That was but Bonds. Asked, that, was yeah. bon that was a great question. Yeah. There, it's a great question. Were, yeah, I, I had wrote them down as I was sitting there and I'm listening to him making up all these excuses for the temporary uh, uh, workers. But it also says, you know, when you're getting temporary workers, you can also be phasing out a title. That's right. You see, and he didn't want to answer that. He didn't want to answer Beatrice's uh, answer when he read off the state law when it came to temporary workers either. He wanted to just shove that to the side. That also was part of that. You see, he, they just wanted to give you the parts. What they copied is what they wanted you to know. <clears throat> That's it. They, they figured that the members is not going to look any further. They're going to accept that and not look any further. They're not going to do like you, me. Uh, or anybody else that really want to look because you know they always covering up something they 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 they, they listen the, the whole administration is built on lying period everybody lies and cover up and bottom line is they don't do their work period and management wins because of that the lack of education the lack of them doing their homework management take advantage of, it, of that discipline is the way it is because nobody reads a book remember uh, my buddy Den Dennis Turner just got five days for a case that was two years old. Mm. Two years old. Now, how can that happen? Unless you got, you know, what what they what this new thing they be doing with the mannequins or something? People. Oh, the mannequin uh, challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they be doing. That's what they be doing. They just be sitting there and management be saying whatever they want to say and they write down whatever and then we got you, we got you. Yeah, that's all they be doing. You see, nobody put up an intelligent argument on the issue. Nobody look up anything. It was totally wrong for them to go and do your grievance. This, what, what you hear this for? This, 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 let me show how dumb do dumb. <laughs> he got an at all grievance on the issue of the temporary station agents, right? And their names, everybody names are on there. The th or four, what, three or four people? On yeah, there? There's three of the mine. You're the main more. person with your name and address and your number on it. Here come management one day, and say, this is Joe's story. Management just came to him one day and they said, we're doing this case now, you know. Now you know you're supposed to contact him. And how you gonna let management bully you into doing it right then, and you gonna give up the excuse, I went and got Anthony Atria and let him do it. Well, he may not argue the case the way um, John may do it. And you're gonna try to use that as an acceptance if he would have lost it as, well, we lost it. That's bullshit. It's, it's Just as well as they saw his name sitting up there, it's the same way you should have been, you know, they should have been able to contact him instead of coming up to the union at a point like that. They're not asking, 
are you going to make management accountable for what they're doing? Because they did this on purpose. That was great. And I like how you brought they, that up. They danced around with it, and I said, this is going to come back up in a minute. And it did, because when it came up to my grievances, this is what they do. And management know what they're doing. And that's why they deserve uh, unfair labor practice charges against them. On my grievance, my name sits right there. Everything is there. The two other cleaners that's, that are on there, they name it pass. For them to send Ward a copy of the case, send it as a step one when it should have been a step two, is messing and killing time, procrastinating, basically. And they looked up Ward's number and sent the case to Ward. Ward calls me up and says, Stanley, I got a grievance over here. And he explained, I said, no, it should have went to me. But Ward address is not on there. This is the game the union has allowed management to play when it comes to us and stations department. They stalling on the equal pay, equal work of grievance I put in about us getting time and a half of snow duty. They stalling on that. They were both filed on the same day. Them cases should have been called on the same day. But no, they're going to call the three feet rule and not call the equal pay, equal, uh, equal work rule, uh, a grievance I put in. They've been saving management money for years from blocking me from putting that through because we do 80% of the snow, mm -hmm. okay? You got cats leaving their house getting time and a half. You show them how the cleaner get one-tenth of their hourly pay and they don't get it till they on a station and they shovel it and they actually put a shovel into the snow to start getting paid? That's bullshit. That's, in, that, that's inhumane treatment of somebody. And how a union would allow it to go on for as long as it did? is bullshit. While you got up there in your so-called constitution, race, read, crawler, all of that, we, we, you know, we're not, you know, not, not discriminatory, that's bullshit. In this union, they discriminate by titles, okay? The, the department that's gonna get shit on it on big time in this upcoming contract is Stacia's department. Well, get ready. And basically, you there's a certain, I mean, there's a, you know, to a certain degree, they, they are discriminating against the demographic because it's certain demographics and all these different, these different titles, departments. Yeah. I know yeah. you agree with that. I know. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know? let, let me ask you all another question. I'm going to start with Staten. How do you feel about COPE and, and how the union has been transparent with COPE the past six years? You mean the lack of transparency. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. COPE, um, I mean, on an overall scale, on a larger level, if unions, and not just TWU, if we really use that and use that uh, effectively, it could, it, could be a, it could be a tool that we can wield with a lot of, with a lot of clout. But unfortunately... Uh, you know, this union, this leadership in the union don't really use uh, its COPE money, you know, wisely, effectively. They don't try to use it to push a pro-labor agenda. They don't try to use it to really push and get behind uh, progressive candidates for office, you know, whether it be on a local level or a statewide or, or, or congressional level. Um, and one of the things that we, we did when um, under Toussaint's administration was we actually stopped the monies that we were giving to the international because a certain amount of 
uh, money the that the local takes in in its uh, coke funds you know they usually turn over a, a percentage to the international and I remember um, I think Peggy uh, Peggy Olstein was running that uh, department at the time and uh, um, what was the uh, international president before um, O'Brien yeah O'Brien he would actually sent uh, representatives to the local to really try to uh, encourage the local to start back participating you know uh, turning over cope fund funding at the international level but for a good while we had um roger had we had stopped we had organized amongst the membership and stopped actually turning over cope monies to the international so it can be a it can be a very effective tool and sometimes you may even need to you know that might even need to be something that needs to be generated back amongst local 100 members uh to at least foster or try to force some level of accountability on the part of the leadership of the local to try to say hey look we don't uh, agree with what you're doing we certainly don't agree with what you're doing with our monies uh, while we certainly may not have any control over our dues money and whether you get that but we certainly have control over these cope funds we started that a month ago <laughs> you ain't been paying attention to the page <laughs> we started that a month ago but uh, but it's something that um, can can be a very uh, a very strong tool. Yeah, I agree. Now let me ask you this, Mr. Mooney, because um, you were specific. You said, you know what? Come to think about it, I've been paying them six dollars, and I don't know where my money been going. That's right. I'm, I'm gonna withdraw till I see financial reports. Mm -hmm. Now, from what I understand, some people sent me screenshots of past. Um, meetings where they put the the, the, the financial reports on the on well, a, I got the pictures on the PowerPoint. Yeah. I got the was it it'd been fourteen two thousand fourteen. I went to the Javits Center. Okay. And when I got there, Earl Phillips was just getting on stage, and then he started putting things. I says, "Oh, but they don't give nothing in writing. No, there is no handouts. So they do the PowerPoint, as you were saying, right? Yeah. The screen. So I took I got all the pictures of the presentation on cope they talk they got a line how much money came in how much money went out maybe some office expense there was only one name listed where money might have went it was one thousand dollars and it's not where it went a politician actually sent back a thousand dollars <laughs> that probably was a typo from the fake financial report. Yeah. So I ac I actually Google I said let me Google this guy. This is the guy that won De Blasio's city council seat in Park Slope. So he's probably with De Blasio, and they were probably going against the you know they wanted the horses or something. So he probably got some heat, and he says you know what let me send back this local 100 donation so I don't get no heat from the animal rights or whatever. But they don't want you to know where they're spending that eight hundred thousand dollars. I think it's around eight hundred thousand, three hundred and something thousand dollars went to the international. And the only money that we know that went to any politician was one thousand dollars that was returned. That's where I start saying, I said, you know what? I don't like what I'm seeing. You got all this money, 
Tell the people, this guy got 2000 this guy got 500 whatever. And if every politician gets money, all right, that's what we're giving it for. Listen, pay everybody off. But they don't want to tell you who they're giving the money to. That's where it sets off, I got concerns. Uh, that's where I start getting suspicious, and I start feeling, is this place corrupt? <laughs> I'm serious. Now, what kind of financial reports would you like to see to make you comfortable as to where your $6 well, is going? John Mooney. In 1986, graduated Kingsborough Community College with an associate's degree in accounting. <laughs> Look at that. Education. <laughs> I actually tutored accounting at Kingsborough Community College. This is all simple stuff. You put a sheet and you put this guy, you list everybody's name. Now, let me tell you even more. When you look at the general... LM2s, those are the financial statements that they got to send to the federal government. Talks about who's getting paid in the local and stuff. See, you see like Bill Lynch and Associates. Well, Bill Lynch is dead like five years. He's still getting money. His son now took over Bill Lynch, Bill Lynch and Associates. That used to be the deputy mayor for uh, Mayor Dinkins. And then... You know, he's so good, Bill Lynch, that he uh, advised uh, David Patterson when he first became governor. And he basically tanked David Patterson. You understand? Tanked him. Patterson even came out and says, I shouldn't have listened to Bill Lynch. But we're still paying him $5,000 a month. For what? For what? That's right. Mm. Now, you see the guy, the Spanish kid that, that runs the Hamilton play, Miranda. Well, his father is the famous Miranda in New York State politics. He's the biggest consultant in the state. That might be Murram. Mur is Miranda. Ram is Ramirez. Murram. So when you see anything like that in the local stuff, we're sending money to this guy. And they just keep losing election after election. Because it's all about cash and checks. I said, you know, Hank Shankrop, you know, he's right. All, all good unions for is writing checks. And, and the union is also doing business with cash only also, correct? That was with the, well, with the printer. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because you know what? Now, with this election, Bass Knight said, Mooney, I want to pay by, first of all, she wanted to pay by credit card. So I said, you can, can we pay by credit card? Nah, nah, nah I want cash. And Bass Knight was playing real difficult. I love Bass Knight. She's my recording secretary. But she pushes a hard bargain. It's, you know, I got timelines. I got to get the flyers made up. We got to boom. You want to get it out. You want people to read it three, four days before they get the ballot. You want it to sink in. She goes, I'm not paying cash. I says, uh, you take checks. Oh, I want cash. I looked then at the election rules. It's either cash, I don't. You got to pay the guy either cash or like a, a, a bank check, a certified, one of these uh, specific uh, checks that they give at the banks, you know, like a guaranteed check. So when I see, when I see all of this stuff coming together, everyone's making money here. Money, money, money. If it's 
sending money with the coat money to politicians. And you know, and if you question it, oh, you're being a bad guy. Oh, we need this money so that we can get this bill done and people. You're not allowed to question. You're supposed to be put on the table right from the beginning. So that people know where their money's going. When they don't want you to know where the money's going, watch out. It's corrupting. It's going to blow up. It's going to blow up big time. Everyone's cashing checks. They're all fat up there, literally and figuratively. <laughs> and you know what? You ain't never going to see a strike with these guys. So don't even worry about striking. They, they don't even want to say the word. Hey, John, I want to ask you something. Um, I, I heard something uh, was brought to my attention maybe about a week or two ago. Um, um, is, do you, if you know of, is Marvin Holland uh, making a run for city council? Sure. Sure. They already got the flyer out. I saw the flyer. Yeah, I seen the flyer. So it's, on, it's, on the, it's on the Facebook. Now, listen, Marvin's one of these guys. He's a nice guy. He's not going to yell at you. It's not going to intimidate you. In fact, you might not even know he's even in the, in the room. <laughs> Wears a nice suit. Uh, let me give him a hand clap for that. Yeah, then at least, at least a nice suit. suit. Right. <laughs> but see this game? Politics? Yeah, he's going to be running up against career politicians. He's an aspiring politician. That on his own, I don't see him getting elected in Local 100. In this business, in a Democratic primary, and it's in February, the primary. From what I'm reading online, the Democratic primary for this thing is in February. He hasn't even started campaigning yet. You know what you got to do? You got to take two years of knocking on doors every day. You're going to say, I'm going to go out and knock on 50 to 100 doors every day of registered Democrats who vote in every primary. You have the lists. This is classic politics in New York. You knock on the door. Hello, my name is Marvin Holland. Next door, hello. This one can give you flyers, do the whole spiel, get them. Then you got to go back again so they see you two or three times. He hasn't knocked on one door. That's my take on it. Nice guy. But you got to, this is New York City. He's going up against Perkins, I think, Bill Perkins. I think Keith Wright is planning on giving up his assembly seat so he can run for it because now the city council is $150,000 a year. So they're saying, shit, I'm making 70000 upstate. Man, I'm going down to the city to make one fifty. Why? It's all about cash and checks, right? They ain't doing that no more going up there, and it's cold up there in Albany. I hate going to Albany. <laughs> it's so cold. It goes right to your bones up there, and you don't lose it for like a week. I come back down. It's so cold. I don't know what the deal is when you go up to the mountains. It's so cold up there. I would never. You know what? If I was running for something, I'm running for Congress. I'm going to Washington. <laughs> I am going up to Albany. Real cold up there. It's a waste. It's always cloudy and windy. You understand? Yeah. Let me ask you, Joe. How you feel about Cope? Well, you know, like like what Mike said, what everybody's saying, it's it's necessary. Um, 
but I don't like the lack of transparency. I mean, a lack of transparency, it's so untransparent that it's <laughs> insulting and ridiculous. Yeah. You know, to just say, this is what we took in, this is what we sent out, and that's it. And then we find out later on, we see, you know, our reps dancing with politicians in Puerto Rico, and we know our co paid for that. <laughs> Tell me what the hell did that accomplish? You know, we talked about accomplishments before, right? The post-it rally. Um, this other thing, what 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 do these junkets accomplish? They accomplish nothing. I mean, they're just there to blow the money. I mean, maybe it's a requirement. Maybe it's a requirement that you have to spend X amount of money. So hey, let's send a whole bunch of people to anywhere, you know, and just make it look like they're accomplishing something. But what John was saying was right too. Um, you know, we 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 have to really organize what our political action does. I don't think that they're organized with a plan. It's just like, oh hey, here's an opportunity. We just got a letter from somebody. Um, let's send a bunch of people over there. Or it's just about handing out checks. You notice that when there are big campaigns in the city, you'll see DC 37, you'll see the hospitals, you'll see every other union out there, but you know, you know what we're doing? We're just renting the vans to drive them around. Our political power isn't, isn't so much just being in good with politicians because you can't trust any of them. One day they're your friend, I mean, they're shaking your hand with one hand, stabbing you in the back with the other. I mean, you got to really be tight with somebody and, and, and have an have a equal trust. Um, but you just can't do it with any politician just because you write them a check. Your power is in how many people you can put out in the street. How many people... I remember we were doing Darlene Mealy, one particular one that I was involved in, and, 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 and she was going up against a very powerful political family in Brooklyn, and we had to be out in the street. I mean, we were, we were running around in the middle of the night they were tearing down our posters on Eastern Parkway. We, then we had to hang up posters that they would tear down and we would tear down theirs and vice versa. And me and Samino were doing that, running around every night, <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning on Eastern Parkway. Um, and, 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 and those are the battles. That's, that's what you really need. That's, that's where you're appreciated. That's where the, the payback comes from. They need to see local 100 members out there. And a lot of times it just takes volunteers. But how do you get volunteers? Volunteers only happen when they have trust in their union, when they know that their work is going for a good cause. You know, you'll have good union members come out and, and, and give their time. If they think it's bullshit, like what they see now, they're coming out there. I mean, everybody has a family, everybody has something to do. They are willing to sacrifice their time, but they're not gonna do it for bullshit. So cope, there is cope, and then there's political action. Cope should fund political action, yes, and we need it, but I, I, I totally agree with what you guys are saying, that you're saying, hey, man, if you're not going to tell me where my money's going, then I'm holding it back until you do. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Perfectly nothing wrong with that. I, I, I want to say one, one thing on this political stuff. And I love politics. I analyze it. I just watch all the moves that get done. See, this is the problem with Local 100 in the state of New York. Samuelson can't make a move without getting the green light from Como. You see, why did we support this guy for Congress, the Dominican guy? What's his name? Yeah, why did we do? You know why we supported him? Because Como don't get along with the the Harlem Democrats, the black Democrats in Harlem. Charlie Rangels, the Keith Wrights, you don't get along with them because they went against them and they put Keith, uh, Carl McCall maybe about 10 years ago. See, Carl was a guy he don't forget. 
So he don't trust those guys. Again, I don't trust you. So you know what he said? I'm going to get this other guy, this Dominican guy. First of all, we'll redistrict everything. We'll draw different lines. <laughs> right? We'll get the Republicans to draw these crazy lines. And then we get Local 100 to support this guy. And then we support, like, his assistant to then take his spot in the state senate. You know, and you got Keith Wright. I don't know the guy, but I just... Pissed, you know, reading newspapers and watching the show. You know, these guys all supported us for years. So I said, the only reason we're supporting this guy is because Como said, support this guy. I'm against those other guys. But I can't come out and say it. So you're going to be doing my dirty work for me. It's a dirty game. Whatever gets done, he's got to call up. Whoever Como is scared, he don't even talk to Como. He's Como's gonna say, You talk to my assistant. Okay? Whoever the assistants are, all the assistants, first of all, those all been brought up on federal charges. They're all for all types of corruption. Como's people. Everyone around them all up. And they're trying to squeeze them to get what Como's been doing. Mm -hmm. You understand? But that's that's politics. For local 100 in the state of New York, we we can't make a move because we sold ourselves to Como, and we don't have no, we don't have the members organized to fight back management. We we're, we're hoping that Como is going to give us a good deal. And this is a guy you can't trust. It's bad news. It's cold. You ever see this? This guy is a cold, cold guy. This is the man that delivered tier six. That's right. That's all you need to hear. So all the money, you know what? This week, I'm gonna put in my my request to stop doing the six dollars. Okay? I haven't done it, but I'm gonna do it this week. See, we gotta make a statement. I agree. It's all about money. You know, you know, I'm one of the uh, I went with Marty to the MTA board. Maybe about five months ago. To boycott Israel. That was a good one. Is that a good one? You know how, you know what type of balls you got to have? To get on the microphone and say, boycott Israel. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's crazy. That military occupation of Palestine. The whole thing. He, he he said a lot. Mooney coming over here with with, with the crazy knowledge right now. I'm feeling fire, it. I'm, yeah, yeah I'm feeling this. Let me ask you a question, Mr. Staley. We gonna shift the topic for a little bit. The union just wrapped buses, and the whole narrative of the union for us getting a good contract is because workers are getting assaulted. That's their narrative. How do you feel about that? I think um, when it comes to leadership, you don't go to anybody begging. When you come with that begging mentality, then that shows you you're weak. When you're, when you're calling yourself protecting your members, you come out definitively and you go right to the point. You don't be like, like excuse me, this is what's, you know, you just tell them what, what's what. Uh, 
the campaign, as far as that concerned, I listened to it. If you, um, uh, well, you is always on the radio, and in the crew, in the, um, my room where I come out at, it is constantly on uh, uh, the radio. So it's always on. So I'm always hearing it. I I just think um, it's not it's it's not a um, it's a it's an important issue. Yeah. But there are all the other things that makes us deserve a raise other than just about the assaults. And I think that should be pointed out as well. I recently saw this guy on TV. Um, I don't know if anybody, uh, you got his number? Text him and tell him wear a shirt and a tie. Because he was on TV with this sweat, with, I, I looked like a sweatsuit to me. And he was up there talking about exactly that too. He was doing it on, um, I think it was Channel 7, and he was on there talking about, you know, we deserve a raise because of, but not about because of the effort and the work that we put in. You know, we put in work, hard work and effort as well. Of course, that's part of the job. We get assaulted, yeah, and it should be addressed, but that shouldn't be the main reason that you put out there why we should get a raise, you know. Talk about the eight million, eight and a half million people that we move every day, the extra workload that we handle, the issues of 12 nines, which is at, a, at an all-time high right about now since I've been in here. There have been more 12 nines in the last couple of years or so than have been in just about in my whole career down here. And I've been down here 23 years. You know, issues like that. You know, um, you know um, what about, okay, we just had a big discussion today about the rooms. TA did a whole line of um, stations, rehabbed them, and guess what they didn't do? The bathrooms and where we sit down and eat at. Old rotten wood, it stinks. I did pictures of them. They got mad because I posted them up there. So they called themselves, they're going to address that issue. There are a lot of issues that uh, I think that the union position should be more so uh, trying to get the public to understand why management is trying to reverse it and say, well, we, we get ready to do, ask for a 4% um, hike in, in, um, in, in um, um, transportation affairs. Well, he sort of trying to say the 4% we get ready to get, he's trying to tell the public we getting it because of us. See, and we don't have nobody personable enough because this guy was up there, and I, I didn't know what he was trying to say or what he was trying to do. All I know that, you know, he was just big and fat up on TV and just was saying stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he need to, he need to, you know, if he can't do it, you know, this union makes enough money to hire a firm, a PA firm, a, you know, a public relations firm, PR firm, and let them come in and speak on the behalf of the uh, other workers. You know, even even better. This union has enough people on release to where they can get these people off their keisters and get out there and submit the paperwork or submit the flyers out there to the public on the trains and the buses instead of trying to sue the MTA to say, well, you know, why don't you put our advertisements on the buses and trains? It's, That's it, ridiculous. It, it's like, oh, he won't let me play with his toys, so I'm going to sue him. So I'm going to sue him, right. I'm going to get mad. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, you know. Here it is, right? This is, I, t I told Tremellis the other day, this is, this here is, I believe personally, the contract of our lives on this job. And I say that because, again, Trump just got elected and 
every day when I watch NBC, MSNBC, I hear about the people, all the right-wing extremists that he has in his cabinet. He's appointing. That, that, you know, that he's appointing. You know, and, and of course, his token black, uh, ben Dr. Carson. Ben Carson, the hood. So, <laughs> you know, and then, of course, his labor secretary. His labor secretary is quoted as saying, yo, robots don't call out sick. Robots don't go out on comp. Robots don't complain and ask for a raise. So this is what I mean when I say you right-wing extremists that don't believe in unions. So they could get to work right away when they get in office to start killing unions. Like I said, it, um, his other potential pick for that was Governor Scott Walker. Now I know you know I know you and Joe know Scott Walker, uh, Governor Scott Walker from Wisconsin. This man put forth signed legislation to kill collective bargaining. It's one thing to snatch away the agency shop fees for the Friedrichs case, but when you kill collective bargaining, you're finished. You're in the you're in the you know you're dead in the water. That's that's slavery. That, exactly. <laughs> It'll be definitely be that's slavery. slavery. It'll be slavery ne- messing with this MTA. I never heard slaves negotiating with the slave master. Hell no. About what was right and was wrong. Exactly because you know the house niggas that you say they don't negotiate with Samuelson or they don't say nothing to Samuelson. Everything is everything is perfect in the union. And that's the problem I have with them. Me, I love my parents. I didn't agree with everything that they did growing up. Exactly. When and, me growing up. But if you go up did. there, but if you go up there, yo, name something you disagree with Samuelson. They had a loss for words. Right. It's so like you love crickets. you love Samuelson more than you love your parents. You know what I'm saying? And and, and it's crazy. That but that's how you know they fake. Yeah. That's how you know they fake. Mm-hmm. I'm staying. Mr. Stan, yes. let me ask you this. How you feel about the narrative, the main narrative of John Samuelson is we get assaulted every 36 hours. And you know, hold on, before, I, before you even answer that, we get assaulted every 36 hours. Meanwhile, he's only rotating these four pitches. Mm. These same four pitches. I understand we getting assaulted crazy. Well, that's because those pictures are brutal. So basically, uh, uh, because again, getting spit on or getting slapped is counted as an assault, but you can't, but you can't take a picture of that, no. Those pictures that he's circulating is brutal. If you saw those pictures, so that's why they're being circulated. I, I had a cleaner get slapped uh, by. Uh, I had a cleaner get slapped, and uh, when the police responded, right, the police said it wasn't a, a assault. That um, what he said it was. He didn't. Matter of fact, my man Turner, that was who it was. He got slapped by an intern, right? Physically slapped. When the police arrived, they said it wasn't an assault. So then I asked him, what is it? What do, you know, he's talking about it was menacing or something, something, some minor thing he was, so I, so I said to him, so you telling me if I stand here and I slap the shit out of you right now, <laughs> you, gonna, you ain't gonna shoot me? You ain't gonna shoot me or nothing? And then he tried to say, you trying to be smart or something. I said, no, I'm being a realist here because I distinctly remember seeing people getting slapped and next thing I see handcuffs on, on them and, and they're going downtown. So now that you come in here, you're saying now it's uh, medicine or something. Yeah, medicine in that. And I'm saying, okay, all right. You see, so my point in saying that is, is that these guys sometimes pick and choose when they want to call an assault an assault because they turned around and um, somebody downtown had to call a sergeant or something and then when the sergeant came then they shot then that's when they cleaned it up and they said okay 
you know, it's an assault. But by then, this guy was on the other side, probably was in Brooklyn by that time. This happened in Manhattan. He probably was in Brooklyn somewhere. So they couldn't get him anyway. When you're dealing with assaults, sorry for interrupting, we all got to go back to the assault bill on the summertime where they were trying to tell us that the governor signed it. <laughs> and it was a lie. Right. It was a lie. <laughs> it was a lie. Then, when they did the arson at the token booth. Which you was there. I was there. And, I, I, and he, called, he went out on me today. Right? He gets all flustered, Bermudas. He starts making all crazy accusations. But we'll get, stay focused here. Woman, woman almost got killed. They charged that guy with attempted murder. Try to light that boot on fire. That was that incident. About a week later, the governor came out and signed the bill. That means it was sitting on his desk, gathering dust. He didn't care about it. And they had someone almost got killed, murdered. They says, oh, shit. We didn't even sign the damn freaking assault bill. But it was big miscommunication because back in February, Samuelson said that judges and prosecutors shouldn't hesitate to use this newly found bill, which yeah. wasn't passed, which, well, he, which, yeah. he li which he lied about. Yeah. You understand? Can you imagine someone would have gotten seriously injured? Now it was for cleaners. Now we're learning that it's, you know, it was more than just cleaners on that bill. Okay. But at the time, they were saying, oh, the bill passed. The bill passed. Success. Now, when Beatrice came on the show here and talked about it, there was retribution. They removed them from the special shop stewards program we got in stations department. <laughs> These guys is crazy. <laughs> now, that's not it. I filed the grievance on the temporaries, right? And I got one of these special shop stewards in the stations program. He just got off probation. And it was pro-union, the grievance, anti-management. There's nothing in there talking about anyone. It's pro-union, anti-management. And Jason signed on to the grievance. Well, later that night, Jason got an email from Mr. Wichart how he violated protocol, rules and regulations, constitution, division here, committee. I want to have a report on the division chairs in the morning. Or you're going to be removed from the certs or the special stations, department, shop, stewards program. It's constant, constant retaliatory against people that just want to do good. Jonathan coming on here saying, yo, you know, the bill isn't, isn't, hasn't been signed. That was good. We should know that. Filing a grievance. And I remember any employee in the contract, in the, in, in, in the contract, any employee or union rep can file a grievance. Anyone. Now, if you create interference, intimidation, retribution against someone, to me, I, I think you're violating the law. You know what? You're probably violating the LMRDA. Because that's what the mafia would have done. <laughs> right? Just another example where I'm starting to say, you know, I think this place might be corrupt. 
So, you know, when I say stuff, you got to put examples on the table. And not one, you want to tell three, four, five, and it just keeps going. When it comes to this grievance, grievance issue, right? And this is why I have no respect for Joe Bermudez, because when he talks, he talks in general, and he's not being really sincere to the members. That's when I came to you and I said, let them know the difference. A lot of people in there don't know the structure, and there's a grievance that you do internally in your union. That's the one listed in the bylaws, that's, and, and that's what he kept throwing up. But yet and still, we were talking about uh, cleaners and, and um, temporary clerks uh, grievances, which comes under contract, which is totally different. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to go through them. To, and they, and they got to judge. See, that's why I said they wanted to, you know, they want to pick and choose what they want, want to go to management. They helping management block stuff. That's basically what it is. Things that the management have a clue that they can lose on, the union helping them stall it. That's basically what they're doing. All right. See, because the union should have brought them up, uh, went right to the, the new VP. We got a new VP in, in, in labor relations. Or if not, went to Tabitha Williams, senior director, and said to her, it was improper what your people did by not informing the grievance on that grievance and coming to us. But they're not going to do that. That's why management do what Well, you know do. what it is? They know they could get away See, with it. See, what he, he don't want to say, it's my belief Joe Bermudez, this union administration, Samuelson administration, they told labor relations, you know you're not sending Mooney a letter or giving him a call at the, when this grievance. You're going to have to send it to us. Going they, through, they can't do going, that. Oh, boy, listen. It's illegal. Oh, no, listen. I know who I'm dealing with. Okay? When I went up to file the grievance... The security guard said, uh, what, what do you here for? I said, I'm here to file a grievance. I'm a union rep for stations department. What's your name? Can I see your pass? Let me see if you're on the list. <laughs> and I had Jace with me. I says, you know I ain't going to be on the list, Jace. You're not on the list. And he has Jason. Same thing. Jason gives him his pass. You're not on the list either. They got a list of approved union reps. You know where that starts. I'm the chairman, elected chairman to represent all the station agents, 27, 2800 station agents. Now the union bylaws say the section and division offices handle the grievances. Yep. So now today, he says, we're going to start, there's going to be a new procedure on how you're going to submit grievances. Anyone that wants to submit a grievance first has to go to the union rep, the approved union rep at 2 Broadway. Go to the union office, say, I got a grievance, I want to submit this to management. Is that, is that? Union-wide, every department? Oh, I, you know, you're so good because that's what I asked on the AM meeting. I said, Joe, do they do that in other divisions? Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> you think so or you, or, or you is he for sure? I mean, but how can they change, how can they change what's in the... Do you, um, now, which depot are you from? 
Which depot? Manhattanville. Manhattanville. Now, who, who's 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 Cast? Who, who's up? Yeah, Castillion. Do you think Castillion, the chairman of the depot, thirty years on the job, do you think he goes down to Two Broadway and looks for Donnie Yates to <laughs> submit a grievance? Nope. No. And Map Store, I don't think we go to Two Broadway for hearings. We go to um, Quill oh. Division. No, so you go to Quill. I I used to go visit Mike Tatrone all the time. Oh yeah, Mike. I know the whole the whole routine. <laughs> I'm gonna give you a nice story. He's I'm probably gonna, on the list anyway. Mike's on the list. <laughs> oh yeah, Mike's now, on the now, list. Now 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 we now John Landis drew a cartoon of me about a week ago. He did? That's right. He ain't sent that one to me. <laughs> he only sent the Joe one. I didn't see that one. I didn't see it either. See it. <laughs> I'm, I'm insulted. I, I I I wanted to see that. I'm gonna give the story now. <laughs> you gotta forward that to me. Oh, I've, been, so, I've been getting stuff from him as well. When, when, he when, been sending it to you? When I was, he's, he's been sending some stuff about me. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so oh, we okay. So he drew a cartoon of a car burning with a fire, and it's basically when I was the VP, Roger took the car away from me. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably used the car when there was a strike up in Westchester and they probably transporting kerosene for the, the heaters and probably one of the cans leaked in the trunk all over whatever stuff I had in the trunk because they didn't give me back my stuff that was in the car. They took the car with all whatever I had in the trunk and then I went to federal court. I see I had an ongoing federal lawsuit and then when they, they said, you know, just put Mooney's crap in a plastic bags and give it back. So I go, I go into my office one day and I see garbage bags and I open them up, and they're filled with uh, gasoline smell and stuff. <laughs> so I said to myself, what the fuck? So I call up Mike at Quill. I said, Mike Tatron. I said, Mike, they got these garbage bags filled with my stuff. And, I, you know, I can't believe it. It's like they got gasoline or something they poured in here. <laughs> Mike goes, call the fire department. <laughs> See, Landis Beaky skills come into play, boy. So, so, so the fire department came into my office, the hook and ladder, axes, the hats, the boots, the whole setup, right? They come in. What's, what happened? What's the problem? I says, I don't know. I walked in. And I, I'm smelling gasoline and everything. I don't know who put this in. But that's my Mike Tatron story. <laughs> uh, um, let's, let's get back to the, to the, the question, Stan. Um, remember it? <laughs> I think you had asked about in terms of why they were. Uh, the union narrative being about assaults. Right. I, I kind of looked at it and I saw the piece on the AM, AM New York. I think it was uh, today or yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And um, when I looked at it, I, you know, I, I kind of felt a bit insulted by it. Um, because what it does is it, it suggests that it, it sends a suggestion to, to members and union members that uh, while these are situations that we face or we may have to deal with when we're doing our jobs out there, that somehow you could just simply throw money on the situation 
And that's just supposed to make it okay. You know that. Somehow just, just compensate us. But it's okay for us to be assaulted just as long as we compensated for it. Nasty. And, you know, part of me is saying, you know, whatever happened with, in terms of making sure that when this assault bill became a law and uh, when we fought and Roger, you know, got this bill signed, uh, I believe it was probably after his first term or second term in office, you know, one of the things that we, problems that we saw even coming out of, the, of that bill was that there was a reluctance on many of the d district attorneys to prosecute, you know, uh, folks that, uh, you know, that violated this law. And uh, so I don't really, you know, if, if you ask me where I think the, where the, the union needs to really focus its fight squarely on, is they need to really be focusing on squarely on making sure that the prosecutors, the district attorneys, prosecute these cases. Correct. I mean, amazingly, I mean, and, and like I said, it's, it's, it's a tragedy any time that it happens. I don't know if I saw any of the conductors uh, who assaulted pictures that were held up in those, uh, in those photographs, but it's just kind of ironic how you don't hear anything else about the uh, conductor who was assaulted by the uh, police officer who was off duty or modified duty uh, on the uh, J line. Yeah, we've been talking about that. Uh, but you don't hear, I mean, aside yeah. from, from yeah. this format, you don't really hear nothing, uh, no talk about it in the news media, no talk about it coming out of the union hall. Well, it wasn't drastic enough. It wasn't no blood drawn, no black uh, eyes, no broken arms. Uh, you don't, you also don't, you also, it seemed to vanish uh, from the uh, union's presence as the conductor who got assaulted by the cop on Fordham Road on the D-line. Correct. And they may have had maybe one or two times where they went to court trying to uh, uh, make sure that these charges were brought forth against this cop. You don't hear anything about that. So I'm like, where is, you know, where's the, where's the fight? Where's the vigilance on the part of the leadership to make sure that when these situations happen, that our members get justice? You know, it's not enough to just simply say, you know, we're going to just throw money at a situation. Also, huh. like they have the advertisements out, but like you said, it's just showing, okay, you can assault us for a dollar amount, but it doesn't show nobody in handcuffs, nobody, no type of repercussions for the assault. So I'm driving a bus in Brooklyn, and it's like, oh, they just got a raise. She, I'm not paying my fare, and if she challenged me, I'm a punch on her face. But it's okay because y'all got money, and that's all it sends out. Right. They're not showing what's happening to people that's assaulting us. They're not showing, like you said, the prosecutors going after these people. And to be honest, the police don't even show up in time to catch someone who assaulted you. That's correct. You're waiting 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour for the police to come. And it's like, do they expect to catch someone that assaulted you if the police is taking this amount of time to come? 
you can't even leave the bus or the train to even see which way the person ran. So it's like, okay, you cannot put a dollar amount on my life. I don't care. I'm not going home to my family with the black eye, a cut on my face. You know what? Now it's disrupting my family and how they are looking at my job with the MTA. It's not is they're going to think it's not safe no more. I don't want you to work there. Find something else to do. And I tell you something, I, you know, I personally, this is another conversation that I had out there on the road. I personally find what the MTA does if, if you, if you protect yourself from assaults, firing you unconstitutional mm-hmm. because it's still in the United States constitution. If you have the right to bear arms and protect yourself, then why wouldn't you have the right to protect yourself if somebody came to your place of business because behind the wheel of that bus or in that train cab or wherever you're at, that is your place of business, even though you're, you know, mobile. So when somebody can take it upon themselves to assault you, not because of who you are personally, but because of their, you know, animosity towards the MTA and their policies, but why can't you defend yourself? Let me ask you this. Why would the, why would the MTA want to go to try to move to fire you if you go and defend yourself? I'm going to pose this, this question is, to you. Like I said, this is garbage nowadays in, in my eyes because I was talking with a senior, senior guy today who has 30 years. He said, yo, um, he, he said, yo, back in the days, you know, a, a, a drive, if a driver got into a scuffle and, you know, we all used to help each other out. We all used to come together. And he, he, he reminisced and told me a time where like 50 drivers came outside to, you know, to rectify the situation and basically... You know, the guy scattered who was messing with the driver. Back in what but time? What years? In the 80s, man. In the 80s? Yeah. In the 80s. And, and in the 90s. I'm a, I'm a, because they carry be, bats on their be, bus. Because it was crazy during that time in these different neighborhoods. I'm going to answer you know? that. I'm going to answer that for you. Okay. When you look at sports, and you look at sports that's dominated mostly by Caucasians, what they allowed to do? They allowed to hit each other. Hockey. One of the most dangerous sports there is. You got ice, sticks, mm-hmm. pucks, shoes with blades on them. Right. In basketball, you throw a punch. You getting fined and suspended for like 30, 30 games. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a mostly minority sport. Mm-hmm. When, the, this mem- when this membership started changing to mostly black um, demographic, the rules started changing. And that's when the discipline got stiffer. Exactly. Now you can't defend yourself because they look at us, the establishment, as black people as being aggressive. That's just how it works. It's just how it works. Yeah. Or, or what they'll say is that at the point, because I, I had a case, this is probably going back some years ago, where the um, conductor was on the train and, you know, he had a guy on there that was, you know, menacing with him. You know, every time he come into a station, you know, he want to, you know, he want to, stick his head out, you know, outside of the door, and he keep taunting the guy. So at one point, you know, he stuck his head, and then he spit on the conductor. <laughs> and conductors, you know, on the radio, and you know what they tell us, Jamel, you know, uh, radio, signal, radio signal, signal for police, police rally. Rally. <laughs> So, you know, he's doing that. He's signaling. He's calling the radio. Each stop, you know, this guy is, is, is messing with him. 
So it got to the point where, you know, once he put his hands or spit on him, you know, then he, then he did his thing. He tightened him up. And, uh, and then I think he also, uh, he, he, pepper, he pepper sprayed him. He had some mace <laughs> on him. He sprayed him. <laughs> so when the, when the cops finally did come, you know, the guy was just writhing in, in the corner. You know, now he's all, you know, disoriented. So when he came down, uh, he came downtown, they wanted to arrest him. give him time. No, they actually wanted the labor relations. He didn't suffer any arrest or anything like that, but they wanted to, you know, they wanted to sort of give him time. I says, you're not going to give him any time. What is you going to give him time for? I said, because he, was, he defended himself. Oh, well, you know, he's not supposed to use uh, uh, pepper, uh, mace. Pepper. Well, I said, well, pepper spray is uh, it's legal in the state of New York. So, uh, so then he said, okay, Mike, well, um, just um, we ain't going to bring him up on any charges or whatever, but we'll just give him a re-instruction. Just, just tell him, you know, don't use, you know, not to use uh, <laughs> the pepper spray. So I went and I told him whatever, whatever. And they just uh, dismissed the case. But it seems like <clears throat> nowadays, the minute you are in a situation like that and you become the aggressor, that's when they want to go at you with, you know, full guns blazing. Their thing is they're saying that you're only supposed to use just enough force necessary to repel, to restrain the person. That's the, one, new, that's the new rule in corrections also. Once that happens, yeah, once that happens, you know, then you're supposed to basically, you know, just back off. Restraining, ain't it? If the person laying there knocked out, you don't knock him out. Yeah, that's but, restraining. Yeah, right. He ain't moving no more. Right. Or if you stomped so, him out. Yeah. <laughs> nah, if you if you start, that's the thing. The way they the way they, because corrections explained this to me perfectly, and I'm quite sure you could use it here. When that person stops punching, you stop punching. You maybe could get one more in, but it has to be. It can't be a thought about thing. The way they look at it is that if somebody swing on you, or let's say they they hit you and knock you out. And you defend yourself back, and they stop punching, you in trouble at that point. That's just the way how they look at it. Yeah, and it's crazy. Yeah, another another situation we had. Um, I I never I didn't rep this case, but there was a situation where a lady had lost her job. She was operating the train, and uh, she came into the station. And I guess it was a customer was arguing with her about something. Uh, it might have had to do something with a stop or whatever the case or some directions. So it, it was precipitated on the train. And then once the train came into the station, you know, the lady got out off the train and walked around outside on the platform to the position of the conductor. And she slapped her. Pow! So she didn't do anything right then and there. You know, she hesitated. <coughs> and then afterwards, she did something, you know, to the woman. And unfortunately, when she called, when, they, when the situation came to the point where it went down to control center, and the person that she was speaking to on the phone, because she knew that person, she thought that, you know, this person was uh, someone that she could trust, so to speak. 
But many times when you call down there, you have to understand and realize that everything that you're saying is on that is being recorded. So she had told her, you know, the person at control center that she hit the woman. Fired her. She had about maybe 20 years on the job. Wasn't a thing that can be done. And when they pulled the tapes, you know, you could actually hear on the, on the tapes, on the recording when she said that. No mention about, you know, what the woman did, but all you heard was her response. Um, I had a situation with a conductor. Uh, that was a clean, he was a cleaner, he got promoted to conductor. And uh, he was on a D-line one night and um, out near Coney Island, some cat threw a bottle and it went into the cab, but it broke up against the wall of the cab and splattered. You know, he got hit with the, you know, scrapping from the from the bottom. And he came out the cab and caught and caught the guy on the platform and whooped his ass. <laughs> He's a cleaner now again. <laughs> He's a cleaner now again. But you know, the thing about it is, is that a lot of the most important part of the thing is your reaction. If you give them any slight chance of you where they figure you could have stopped and thought about it, and and no, see if you if you spit on me and I just instinctively just beat the shit out of you, then that's that's good. That's all right. Long as it happened like it would just as soon as he spit on me, I just started beating his ass. I couldn't help it, you know, because that's my greatest fear down here, is getting spit on because it's the most disgusting nastiest thing that a person could possibly that's the insult to insult somebody spit on you well i think that they're making us targets if, if they limit our response to any kind of physical threat exactly. um and and the public knows that no, then it, you know because you got those people out there that will just play with you because that's they got nothing better to do but you know if they know if they think that you're just going to turn around and break their nose you think twice about it and it actually keeps by by, by limiting our response it makes us unsafe you know, it, it keeps, it, it, we're not safe out there. Um, I, if if the public thinks that we're allowed to defend ourselves, it might be a different uh, story. Throw a cup of urine at me. And I saw it, I, I, I saw it developing because I was having a problem with him. Fulton Street on the floor. Threw a cup of urine. It went all over the machine. The machine, um, the scrubber machine. And uh, I went in and called downtown. And so she said, well, clean the machine off. I said, no, I'm not. That machine is staying there and I'm going home. And I left, and that machine said, y'all come up here and get that machine, because I've been telling you about this homeless guy in the beginning, to come get, the, there's an issue. All you have to do is just come up here, send the police every now and then, let them pass through, get this guy, and let him stop. But fortunately, when I was coming down, and there's a gate in the middle, where a booth used to be in the middle of the platform. He stood alongside, and I'm using the scrubber machine, and I saw him, he stepped back like that. So I was expecting something. And it was. He had a cup of urine, and it missed me. If it had got me, I guess, I don't know. He might have been on the track, because I tore his ass up. I ain't now, okay, you yeah, but would you want to know something? They want us to be so calm. But if these same things was done to an officer, you would be shot, beat up. Tased. <laughs> whatever it takes for them. You would get the business. They, we get spit on, and they expect us to say kumbaya, my lord, yeah, and leave it alone. It can't happen like that. Now, real no, quick. Let, 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 
You got something to say? Well, Joe, I Joe, to Joe was quiet for a while. I wanted to get a piece of that, but go ahead. You know, I mean, what <laughs> original thing was about, you know, with the leadership's um, strategy to use our assaults to, you know, try to get money out of them. To, yeah, I wanted to get a piece of that one. But if you got... No, go ahead. Yeah, I want to hear your opinion on that. All right. I mean, even even the most you know, even 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 the transit worker that's really not paying attention, but has um, you know like some sense can see that it's a shallow fight. Um, it's it's a desperate attempt to to to, to mimic a fight. You know, um, if 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 the election had turned out differently back um, about a year ago, and we were in office come January, the first thing we would have did in order to, to, to bring together a cohesive membership was to go right after discipline. And that meant plantation justice rallies in the street outside the House of Pain. I mean, right from the beginning, right? Correct. And then, and then, in other words, now what you're doing is you're building a fight over the year. You're bringing the membership together. You're organizing and mobilizing them behind issues. You also go after Vision Zero. You're going after traffic safety for buses. And, you go, and then you're going after police presence in the subway and on the bus lines. And you're doing all that over the year, right? You take your assaults and you, and, and you say, we want, but you go to the public with that. And you say, you know what? If they're coming after and they're attacking us, you guys are just as unsafe too. I mean, if they're t attacking what appears to be the authority down here, uniformed personnel, then they, should, they could be attacking the public too. None of us are safe down here. We need the police. We need the MTA to step it up and start paying for police protection for employees and, and, and passengers, right? And then we roll along like that. If we're looking for the public's sympathy, we have to be like one of them. You're our neighbors, you're our daughters, you're our sons, you're our parents, you're everybody in our neighborhood. Um, we're all together in this. And, and, and then we roll through the summer like that. We leaflet, leaflet, leaflet. Um, the staff, instead of sitting around uh, doing nothing, um, or can't be found at all, who knows where they are, or traveling in packs, they would be down in, in, the, uh, in the system, on the bus lines and in the subways, and they would be leafleting the public. And then when we got to this point, we don't have to beg by showing pictures of assaulted members. At this point, the public and transit workers are on the same page, and then the public understands us, and they know why we want what we want. They're on our side. They, they, they know why the service might be delayed. Okay, when when somebody gets assaulted, we're outside MTA protesting, saying, "What have you What have you been doing? What kind of community pressure has there been to put police on bus lines and down in the subways?" And now we would be stronger at contract time and not worried about putting up some fake fights and doing post-it rallies in the lobby with with union staff. A little uh, muscle is is politically, and I think what we should do, and it would gather the members together and show strength, is do a um, a voter registration drive with the members, bring the members and talk to the members and try to start getting the members' confidence back, trust, and let's say show the union actually cares about the members other than just taking their money, you know, do a um, a, a voter registration drive. And then we can start pushing towards, you know, political strength, you know, supporting somebody. Because I distinctly remember one time um, during Roger's early years, we had went up to Albany, and they were doing the times when this, the, um, the senators wouldn't even be there. And I remember one time Roger got real mad. Roger was saying, well, he had spoke to one guy up there, I forgot the guy's name. But when we came back, 
uh, Roger did a survey of the union, and, and um, he found out that over 70% of the members were non-registered voters. So we couldn't, that's why you couldn't get no support, because we couldn't bring no numbers. Because that's all politicians care about, yeah. it votes. We had no numbers. 70% of the entire membership were non-registered voters. I remember walking in that union hall that morning when he said it. And I looked at him, and I walked in with a uh, friend of mine, and she was standing and I looked at her, and I couldn't believe it. 70% of this union were non-registered voters? So I think that should have been one of the most biggest things that uh, any new administration administration that goes in, one of the biggest things that they should do. Absolutely, and that's that's important too. I mean, there was so many things. I mean, even even with Vision Zero, Vision Zero was a political move. That was the city council. I mean, if 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 they were afraid of transit workers or anybody else that drives a vehicle for a living, um, they could have thought twice about that Vision Zero stuff. I mean, that was that was the city council, and that, I mean, we dropped the ball. Yes, we did. There's no doubt about that. But that was, that was our politicians screwing us because they were not afraid of us. That's the sound when it's time for us to wrap it up. It's about that time. This, this, I, you know, this is one of my most favorite shows I had in a very long time, personally. I'm not going to lie. And we want to have another one of these shows next week. So I, I don't know who wants to come. I'm down. Wants to come back. I'll be here. Mr. Mooney? I didn't scratch the I'll have to see. I'll have to see. You have to see? Yeah, I got to check out with the time frame and all of this stuff. All right. Okay, yeah, we got Mr. Henry Promen coming back next week. He's, he agreed to come back. Yeah, we go try to get Beatrice. Yeah, Jonathan Beatrice, yeah. And probably um, Shauna Robinson. Oh, yeah, definitely. Somebody from the e-board. Yeah, Shauna, if you're listening. What's the other lady from the e-board that be around? Oh, Joan Bygrave. Anybody, we need to get in contact with We need to get Joan. I'll, I'll talk to Joan. I'll yeah. see if a schedule you know, allows it. And let's see, can we get a retiree? Bring McCarthy through or something. McCarthy, yeah. <laughs> Professional protest. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah we'll, have a, yeah, we'll have a nice mob up in here. Yeah. Well, that's today's show. It was a great one. We happy that y'all listened and tuned in. Next week, we're going to even make it even greater. We, we, next week, we'll be a little bit tighter. We're going to keep the questions rolling. Yeah. Give everybody, like, three minutes tops. Unless, unless Mooney want to back us up on some history. So he, when he talk, it's like I just want to grab some popcorn because I think I'm watching a movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got something to say? Yes. Um, this Sunday will be the toy drive. We'll be giving out toys in the community. It's going to be a post on progressive action. We need volunteers, females preferably. Anybody who want to violence. Stop being, see, sexist. Look at that. You let one woman in the building, sexism is in the building. See? I need my ladies with me. Sorry. All right. There we go. That's today's show. We'll speak to y'all later. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Good night, all. Good night.